development of of kindness metta, metta bhavana is cultivation is very necessary uh, for us to do to understand and implement I think one of the the first insights that you uh, mean, really meaningful insights Meaningful on a on a, ex, a very broad and experiential uh, level that covers everything that we we do. Uh, is you have to learn to be a bit a little nicer to yourself and to others, to expect less, to demand less, to uh, forgive more, to stay lighter, to keep light. The whole uh, approach of doing things, the performance mentality, enhances um, energy and, and, and will and things of that nature. It goes so far, and then uh, one is in this uh, loop of never being able to satisfy the increasing demands that uh, the sense of self makes to attain, to realize, to liberate, to, to uh, extinguish defilements, to have more insights, etc. And uh, this is all, <coughs> in some ways, quite natural. And there, there should be that inclination towards furthering one's practice. But how does one do it without making practice a, a tremendously anxiety-ridden experience? <coughs> And you get this, this spiritual tyrant, this spiritual ogre starts to take over, who's always beating you up for, uh, for the uh, imperfections in practice. And then if it's not beating you up, it starts to beat other people up <laughs> for the imperfections in their practice. <laughs> I mean, it's a resort to physical blows, but in the, in the heart, this is what you feel, this kind of... Uh, irritation and, and annoyance and uh, scorn. And that's even for people who are practicing, let alone uh, people who aren't. So the, 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 
one realizes this is not going to be developing where does the compassion come into to Buddhist practice? If this is the wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> this is as far as the wisdom gets. You know, where does the compassion come in? And it, you, you one feels sometimes that, that, that maybe there's two different kinds of practice. You know, you can develop the wisdom elements where you become very wise but utterly unbearable. <laughs> Or you can develop the compassion practice where it's just all so laid back and, and let go and let it happen and whatever, that you, you end up um, just the kind of ooze. Uh, nice guy, but, but uh, there's, no, there's, no, there's no clarity and there's no determination. There's no, you know, this should be this way and there's no sense of, of uh, ability to to determine and to, to work with things. Because there's always, you get into this, well, you know, if there's any stress, or just let, keep backing off. <clears throat> so we can feel, well, maybe there's two kinds of meditation. You can practice the, the mindfulness bit, being mindful and super alert and attentive. And you can do that for a while until you, until you feel so keyed up and anxious about that, that you have to switch over to the the metta practice, the metta bhavana. And you do that for a while, lighten up a bit. Then when you've lightened up a bit, you can go back to the mindfulness bit, and so on. It's kind of swinging between the two. And this is the way it seems, because um, it's still at that level of practice and understanding, it's good intention, but it, it's working on the conventional plane. And so, of course, maybe that's sometimes where we have to do it. On the, on the level of the conventional, the relative plane of, of self and people and me and it and so on. And, but with what I'm trying to uh, encourage and emphasize is, is actually transcending that conventional plane of self and me doing the practice and what I am and what I'm not and beginning to just open to experience as it, as it is, within, this, within a form of practice that's set up and that one gives oneself to, one doesn't decide it and determine it, one kind of lets go into it for all its, uh, its uh, good and bad sides. So that the, the, the control based on the sense of self can be, can be put aside particularly dur- during a retreat situation where it really isn't necessary to have one. This pl- the place uh, is, is very friendly, helpful, skillful, peaceful, kind, and so on. So w- once we've really fully established uh, the precepts and refuges and this uh, commitment to practice, and then, the, uh, then one can begin to abandon the controlling mechanisms around experience. The deciding that I want this, I want that, and do this and do that. And that we begin to <coughs> recognize that, that the difference between just being attentive and aware of something and really being mindful of it is that with mindfulness there's not just attentiveness and and uh, watchfulness as, as, a, as a focusing thing, there's also uh, spaciousness, there's this emotional coolness, uh, dispassion, equanimity. 
Equanimity, one would say, is the feeling of mindfulness, the feeling side of it, the unbiased side of it, the not pushing, the not indulging either. It's not that mindfulness is just, you know, like uh, uh, buying into anything, it's non-belief. There's no judgment, there's no criticism, and there's, there's no praise, there's no blame. So the body in the body, mind states in mind states, feelings in feelings. I'm not saying they're wonderful feelings or it's all right to have them, but it's this way. This thing you have to trust it because it doesn't sound like you're doing anything. You have to trust the Dharma to do it, the Dharma of impermanence and the, the, the Buddha-like quality that begins to arise and stretch itself and go to work when you take refuge in that rather than in what you're going to do and not do. And that feeling of struggling and, conf- and conflicting with thoughts and feelings and measuring them and judging them and rejecting them and being fascinated by some and so on. Detachment, dispassion, this, these are the, the <coughs> one would say perhaps in jargon terms, these are the heart qualities of mindfulness. That are, uh, that are necessary to back up what, again, using just a uh, arbitrary catchphrase, the mind qualities or the, the focusing, uh, that, that quality of, of the practice. So it's not just focusing, it's also doing this with a, with a sense of, of equalness, evenness, dispassion, non-opinionatedness, choicelessness. loving-kindness is based upon that. It happens quite naturally. It develops quite naturally on on that side, the side of the heart, dispassion, equanimity, non-judgmental, non-critical. It's also, you must understand that metta as a concept sounds like like something that's that's always going to be a very radiant and uh, ebullient and approving quality, but I wouldn't call it that. It can be, but that's not, it's, it's, uh, that's not the bottom line. That's not the, the root of it. The basis of it is non-aversion. Now, non-aversion can mean that we just, uh, we, we, uh, don't avert, we don't reject, we don't turn away from experience. It can mean, of course, that, that one actually fully supports and is gladdened by something. So it, it varies in degree. But the, the abiding, the common denominator is this non-aversion. For some things that, that one can't ever say one really enjoys or likes, favours, but that one can maintain non-aversion. So I remember Ajahn Sumedha giving an example of this to a, a woman who had uh, is meditating and I guess she, she lived with a, a husband who was a bit of a case and she said she was, you know, she was practicing meditation and taking the refuges and the precepts and practicing mindfulness and she got these feelings in her mind that coming up over, after a period of time that she really wanted to, she wanted to just stick a knife in him. <laughs> she was just, 
she said, oh, I, you know, I'm being a Buddhist, practicing meditation, trying to develop loving kindness. I just want to want to knife my old man. <laughs> so he said, you haven't done it, have you? She said, oh no, I'd never do that. He said, that's what I call loving kindness. <laughs> so it could be that much. That or perhaps you can, in a meditation, you can get to, to the, when you have that feeling, like you'd like to throttle somebody, somebody's wearing those, one of those squeaky jackets, that you'd like to, even though you're practicing meditation, and that really wearing a squeaky jacket is not against the precepts. Still, when you hear that squeak, squeak, rustle, you get this feeling you like to grab them by the throat and beat their head on the floor. For <laughs> <laughs> disturbing you. So that feeling comes up, and then it, instead of, instead of uh, either doing it, <laughs> which is certainly not to be done, Or justifying it, saying, yeah, you know, hanging's too good for them, those, ne- those jacket squeakers. You know, they're the worst kind of being. <laughs> or thinking, oh, you shouldn't think those kinds of thoughts, and it's really vile. You can notice that thought come and go, and not, not develop aversion. It's possible to, you can't really say that's a great thought, and you really like yourself for that thought. <laughs> But it is possible, with some skill, to recognize it is just a thought. And thoughts can do just about any old thing. And that rather than just then follow and engage and hold on to that, oh, you know, you, you're, such a, you're such a jerk. I mean, if you come in here and then wanting to kill somebody, for, and all this kind of going on with aversion, you can recognize, you can not be averse to those kinds of thoughts. So this is the, the basis of, of the supreme loving-kindness of the Buddha. <laughs> now, you, that's not saying, well, it's, it's great, it's fine to do this, but w- when those things happen, then this has just been very, very practical now, very realistic. You try to not have ever have an a unpleasant, irritating thought. You try it. You just try to do that. Even towards, even when things are really quite nice, the situation here, you try to ever, never have an irritating thought, thought of aversion or ill will. You know, just um, like the people you're sitting with, you know, just around here. And you thought, how many of you had little minor, minor thoughts of, why does she sit like that? She's snoring. Why does he droop all over me all the time? <laughs> well, what about towards me? Uh, any thoughts or just feelings of irritated feelings you can get? Who does he think he is sitting up there? Or he can't do any better anyway? Or what's he trying to pull on me? Any of those kind of, any feelings of that nature that come up in your mind? And then you can, of course, think, think that you're right but you, really that's ill will, isn't it? And as one meditates more, one begins to realize ill will is certainly a hindrance. And then being very practical about it, what is the way towards the, the release of that, of that? And then loving kindness. Now we can do this in several ways. 
we can start to, and this is very helpful on the conventional plane, is we actually act and speak and do things that, are, that will manifest loving-kindness towards each other. Things that are, are benevolent, helpful, forgiving, kind. And we, and we can, this is a very good thing to do. It begins to, to warm. And it changes your ways of looking at things. Rather than see, uh, uh, just, just to consider one's life in this way, how to just be kind to people, how to, make, to be generous and kind and sweet. It helps to change one's expectations of what one expects. How to go through a day just being kind. Kind to, to, the, to the people around you, kind to the people in, the, in IMS, kind to the staff, kind to the yogis, kind to me. And then kind to yourself. Now as a meditation, not just as a way, this is the way of, of, of activity, and on the conventional plane, we do it this way. But in the meditation, the kindness always, the practice always has to begin with yourself. This is the way it's explained. That metta bhavana always begins with yourself. May I be well. May I be free from suffering. Again, there's a series of ideas. You can, you can, one can think these things. May I be well, may I be free from suffering. And nothing happens. So, that however metta is expressed, just as a series of words, of course, it's not the way, it's not, not the goods. That's why you have to, in meditation, you're, you're learning to leave, leave the conventional plane of words and ideas and the head centre, which is about thinking it and knowing it intellectually, down to the heart, to feeling it out, to developing non-aversion to the way it is, the way you feel it now the way you feel the way it is and the resistances and the hurtness and the, and the fear and the panic and the anxiety about the way it is and the, what one should and shouldn't be. So that <coughs> this, is, this, is the <coughs> this is what one would call um, practice of insight meditation is centred on, on in, in this way of, of experiencing things as they are, rather than just the conventional plane of, of defining and conceiving things. And then you notice, how is it? There's suffering there, isn't there? We're saying that just the five aggregates, just, the, just without doing anything, just, just being around is suffering is unsatisfactory just because of the, the way that the conventional being appears with a conceiving mind and perceptions and feelings. Just being around is, is that way because the, the perceptions are always, always uh, moving away from direct experience, never things that you can really find or have or hold. It don't satisfy you. Feelings are painful, pleasant, and indifferent. Painful ones are, are, are unsatisfactory, obviously. The pleasant ones are impermanent and therefore unsatisfactory. The indifferent ones we can get bored with and they become painful. So it's like this. 
And then what happens when you, when you experience suffering, if, you, if you're working from the plane of insight where you're, you're feeling it out, what, what the mind, not what it says, but how it moves and how it feels, then you can feel whenever the suffering, it kind of, it contracts, it grasps. You defend, there's a defense movement. So much of the tightness and tensions and anxiety in, in meditation come from this, this de- trying to defend oneself against suffering. We can, so we can even use meditation as a way of, of building up a kind of you know, an invulnerability or concentration just to, just to, to, to build up a strength against, against suffering, against the feeling of it. But that's suffering too. That's unsatisfactory and it's, it's stressful. In practicing letting go and, and gradually taking off the armor and the defenses and the excuses and the justifications and the blaming of other people and oneself and things around one, just opening to the way it is, then uh, you begin to metabawana, loving kindness becomes quite quite natural and apparent. You have to actually, the only thing you can do is you can not linger in aversion to, to that feeling. And then when we do that, the feeling passes and there's, there's, there's a sense of clarity and lightness. Things just pass through. Oh, that wasn't a problem really, was it? It's just, it's just like that. Even people with nylon jackets aren't really a problem. Really, no, just the sound. Have you ever been in one of those? Venerable Vipassi was telling just mentioned the other day. Have you ever been in one of those meditations where you're just sitting there, getting really absorbed, really absorbed, and, and, and into deep, profound meditation? You can hear this. You think I came here to get some peace. I was just getting really absorbed and. Somebody's snoring, somebody's falling asleep around here. I should be alert and awake and attentive. And and I'm disturbing my meditation and you're listening. And suddenly, as your chin hits your chest, you realize it's you. Just when I was getting really into it. <laughs> That's the way it is, isn't it? Like that. We, we, there are all these kind of mistakes. It's not saying that that's, that's fine, but how do you grow from that? You have to actually have a very forgiving, non aversion, and it makes you very also humble. And it's based on like dispassion, where you're not. You're not trying to just have a great opinion about yourself, to, real, to feel really good, to have some good opinion about yourself. It's very humbling meditation. And you can't even you know, get all righteous uh, and that kind of zealotry about it because that doesn't go so very far either. You become very righteous and this is the way and you know, we've really got it going here. Meditation is the answer to everything. 
and you get all passionate about it, then you find it isn't the answer to everything. <laughs> and maybe some things don't have answers. Maybe we have to accept that, that, that you, know, you can meditate and do what you like and there's still going to be poverty and disease and cancers and violence and so on. It's not necessarily the answer to everything. <coughs> but it's the way out of suffering. And then when, we, when, when there's the cessation of suffering, then we're far more capable and easeful and free to do what, whatever we can on this conventional plane. So then compassion is quite, is quite easy. It's not an anxiety feeling, it's, it's a natural, what else is there to do? Compassionate, then, uh, compassion and wisdom are not separate. Loving kindness and mindfulness are not separate. Mindfulness takes you to this, this uh, non-judgmental position of, of observing, of, of watching, of feeling. It takes you into the heart. It takes you out of your, the head centers of thinking that you've got it together, or thinking you're no good, or thinking it says we are thinking it that way to really feeling it out, feeling things change, feeling stuff come and go, feeling out the breath, feeling the body, as it is. So this, this is what knowing means in the contemplative sense, knowing the body in the body, knowing the mind in the mind, knowing mind states in mind states. What does that mean? Why is it body in the body? You can't know the body in the body with your head, can you, as an idea? You can only know it experientially with itself. So for that, there has to be this, like a letting go and a trust and a faith and an ability to be with something in its own, on its, in its own terms, without aversion, without judgment, without criticism. Non-aversion, giving things space, make it a little more attractive, Develop, like allowing a very spacious quality around our feelings and thoughts. We can do that. Most people would think it's not helpful or, or going to get very far, but that's the act of faith. And when you begin to realize that with that, actually so much of the the suffering that gets created by one's perceptions and views need not even arise to be... You see the possibility, or you begin to intuit and feel out the possibility of just living life in a very loving way, just to, uh, to curtail that highly critical, judgmental attitude, the performance attitude, the no-tolerance attitude, the it-must-be-exactly-this-way-and-no-other-way attitude. And this is the, this, the, the secret to the lightness of the Buddha, the clear light smile of the Buddha. It's knowing and it, it's soft. It's not mushy. It's not indulgent. But it's clear and it has this loving sweetness to it.
And notice when you look at the, this, the Metta Sutta, the, the Sutta on Discourse on Loving Kindness that we've been chanting, a lot of it is, n- is not, it's not sentimental, is it? I mean, most of it starts off with about, really about morality, skilled in goodness, and it's about wisdom, knowing the path. Actually, determining and recognizing a path of, of of training, it's not it's not sentimental. Being able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech. That's not sentimental. You have to be quite attentive to do that. It's it's a matter of of mindfulness. Humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Now we're getting to uh, something a little more uh, about response and heart quality. To see things and to just be contented with them as they are. Humble, easily satisfied, one who does not have highly critical values and standards of what they want and don't want. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. A lot of good intentioned people can get get into this um, performance mentality about about how much they can do and trying to do everything right. And this particularly, say, in, in a, when one has a spiritual vocation and a sense of, of willingness and helpfulness can be, a, uh, can be a problem and you find that it causes disillusionment. You, know, you have good intention and then you just don't know how to stay cool and peaceful with it. You've got to do this, you've got to do that, and you've got to get this done by Friday and by Tuesday, this and by. And you must feed the budgie and walk the dog and sort somebody else out and make this right, make that right. And, and it just leads to a tremendous state of anxiety. I remember I, we had a, a Christian vicar stayed with us at our monastery in Chirtu for 18 months, and uh, because he, he cracked up, um, he had. He'd been a, a vicar in a parish, and he felt it was his duty to go around being very, very cheerful and helping everybody, which was, was a lovely idea. But he also had a lot of personal difficulties, uh, which I won't go into right now, but just the ordinary personal difficulties that human beings have with their relationships and their, and their, their lives. But he didn't feel that he could... He could, do, he could attend to that. He felt he had to help everybody else and always be very bright and cheerful and never, never uh, relax that. And after a while, he felt he couldn't do it. It just wasn't coming from anywhere. He was just putting it on, kind of painting a smile and trying to be bright and optimistic and God loves you and, and this attitude. But he didn't love himself. So after a while, and then he felt despair over his seeming lack of, of, of joyousness. You know, I'm not joyous. You know, if I, was really, if I was really with the Lord, then I would be joyous. I don't feel joyous, therefore I'm doing something wrong. So he'd start to feel critical about his lack of joy. And then whether he was really good enough to be a priest, whether he really was, had a strong enough commitment, or whether he wasn't actually giving in to succumbing to doubt and laziness, and then he, he went to ask for some leave, and they said, oh, no, you can't have any leave. You, know, it's, uh, you should just stay with it. So eventually he had a complete breakdown. And he used to have actually a kind of like a, a tick 
a, a sound as well as a movement that came out of him because of this extreme hypertension state. Because he'd always tried to be bright and good and cheerful and happy and, and loving to everybody else, but he'd never been able to accept the sadness of life or the fact that sometimes it goes wrong and you feel hurt. And to just stay soft with that and, and nurture it and be with it instead of, instead of just trying to experience brightness and happiness all the time. So why, why mindfulness is, is the key, because to learn to flow and to relate and respond to things as they are, with a feeling of, of spaciousness around it, kindness, non-aversion. When it comes round to, <coughs> and much of this sutta deals with that really, the first sections of it, then there's an expression, wishing, like wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. How do we do that? This is rather a rather later stage, or comes after that, that once one has learned to just um, not, not develop aversion and, and, and actually clench things in this anxious and painful way, we've learned that there's a possibility of opening to that kind of backing off of in the heart, the heart begins to realize there are, two, there are two movements there. There's a clenching when we feel suffering and we feel self and we feel me and mine and should and shouldn't. The heart does one thing, it kind of grips and clenches. And then when it, when it, when it lets go of self and possessions and the way it should be, it, it opens, it relaxes, and you begin to feel that, that quality of opening. And as one experiences that, it becomes more possible to, to actually do that, to really just open to things consciously. And this is, this is what's meant by the term wishing. It's not thinking it, although thinking it may be the trigger. We may think of somebody and then turn and open to them. May they be well and really feel it. But you can't, the, the thought can only at the best be just the trigger. It can't, uh, to, to uh, a quality of heart that, that has to have learnt from the heart, in the heart, knowing what the heart is about, then we begin to be able to do this, to actually turn to, to other people and ourselves and just wish them well, have that feeling of, of radiating kindness. And it's a lovely thing to, to experience. And much of the rest of this sutta talks about the, the boundlessness, the ways in which one can develop this, from the, from the, the very immediate to the most uh, far-reaching, and in terms of the, the most beautiful to the most ugly, from uh, people one knows and people one doesn't know near and far away, a boundless heart, radiating kindness over the entire world. A lovely image, even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child. Now, beginning with oneself, to, to, because in this practice you have to, have to really know it. Not just be idealistic, it has to be really known. And this is why 
there's so much emphasis on self-experience. Not to make you selfish, like you're the only one that counts, but right here is the workshop that you can know and work with and really test things out for yourself. So I'm bringing up the suggestion that your, if your, your fear and your worry, you hold to your heart as if it's your child, your only child. Something that you don't want to get rid of, that you're not averse to, that you don't want to kick out the door. But the darkness of your mind, the unhappiness of your mind, you begin to nurture it. Now this does not, doesn't mean you're trying to increase it, but actually this is the way that, that it works on the heart level. It's a different language, it's a different system than the conventional plane. Things that are black and dark, when we experience them at this, on this level, then a gesture, a movement of kindness, radiates. When it's dark in here, we come into the room, what do we do? We open the doors, everybody rush around trying to chuck the, throw the dark out, get this darkness out of here, have some beaters, perhaps if we put a lot of effort into it, we could take, take the darkness away, perhaps a vacuum pump to suck it out, get rid of it. No, you walk in and say, oh, it's dark, switch the light on. <laughs> Immediate, isn't it? What do you do with your own darkness? Yeah. You turn the light on. When you identify with it, you don't know where the switch is. When you identify with that darkness, it's me and mine, and why am I this way, and maybe it's because of this and because of that, and it will last forever, or I was... I did this in a previous birth, or I did this in this birth. All this me, mine stuff, with my defilements and my hindrances, is, is, uh, just leads you to that, trying to throw the darkness out. But on the, in this experiencing things in the heart, you don't have to do that. If you just light towards it, it goes by itself. Now, with metta, you must also be aware of that tendency, as with any practice, to just get it as a set of ideas. Then you get this kind of craftiness. Maybe if I'm really nice to this thing, it'll go away. Nudge, nudge. (laughs) This isn't, this is metta, this is waving a club with metta written on it. I'm really nice, that ought to get rid of this horrible, disgusting, stinking thing if I'm really nice to it. And so the perception is still there. You, know, you have to really work at this. If it's sticking, and then you can be certain that if you don't actually like it, you dislike it. There's only two things in the heart. It's very simple. It's either holding on or letting go. So if, it, if it's, if it's uh, unpleasant and it's staying there, it's because you're holding it to try to get rid of it. So we actually start with, with this. You have to like bring up, even play with the idea of welcoming. Oh, how nice. Nice to have these screaming, frantic thoughts in my mind. It's really, really fun. How nice to listen to them. I, can I have some more, please? <laughs> more, more. 
really? It's like you're listening to a child, your only child. And if you're a mother with an only child, you probably can testify to the fact they don't just sit there gooing and gurgling all day, do they? <laughs> your only child, when you, when you hold it to your breast, is just as likely to throw up over you. <laughs> or do something rather nasty in its diapers. <laughs> only children do that, don't they? We've all done that. But if you're really a good mother, then you, you don't make a problem out of that. You think, okay, kid, they're right. That's the way that is. We're not going to hold on to that one. <laughs> and beginning with oneself. And it's, uh, where, what self? Who do you begin with? Well, just... Uh, if you like, I mean, it should be become slightly clearer as you, you as you as you're meditating, noticing that the the things that come up that you think you are, or the things you think you have, how good you're doing, how bad you're doing, the things you shouldn't have done, the kind of person you really are. That one. Not so nice, is it? Or the, the, the perception of oneself. Totally accepting that. Now you begin to, 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 to bring that up into the mind. You can practice just um, with the body. <coughs> Kindness to the body. Uh, rather than uh, just dragging it around, like when you're walking or sitting begin to turn your attention around your body, just like, like you're turning um, one of those sun lamps on it. Yeah? If you like sun lamps. Sitting and then bring your attention to bear upon the feelings in your head, your forehead, and you focus there. And it's rather like something very, you bring up that feeling, it's something very the attention there is very warm and loving. It's a kindly quality. And you can sweep around your whole body, particularly where you feel the tension in your face, your eyes, your jaw, your neck. Just like you're, you're having a relaxation, uh, a massage. Somebody really nice, somebody you really like, is giving you a, a massage and it's beautifully friendly and has nothing to do. And all you have to do is just sit back and let it happen. And then turn your attention around your whole body. The body's really like this, actually. Down into your back. And then and the poor old knees. And the feet. And painful feelings, pleasant feelings, indifferent feelings. May all beings be well. May the indifferent feelings be well. May the painful feelings be well. So that when we're this way, like with uh, you, the more that you understand anatta, you can begin to work with all of the moments of experience as beings. So that that the screaming in the mind is not self. We're starting to relate to that like it's somebody else, like it's some poor, demented, trapped creature, trapped in a cage trying to get out, 
And there's this spiritual ogre saying, whacking it with a stick, saying, shut up, behave, lie down, get in there, back to your basket, or whatever. <laughs> so that one, then you, you start, you open the cage, you say, come on out, come on out. You have to be very, very uh, skillful. It's a release. So we're releasing and wishing well all sentient beings, particularly the sentient beings that inhabit our consciousness. It's right there that you begin with the world. The memories, the self-images, the sounds, the thoughts, the physical feelings. Liberating them, first of all. Letting them go, letting them out. Letting them be. May all beings be well. May they be the way they are. May they not suffer. That compassionate, serving, kindly attitude. Work around uh, in well, the first foundation of mindfulness and practice is the uh, the body. It's it's something you can you can contact readily. It's been, and we have this opportunity here to, to uh, experience things at this plane, on the, the level of rupa, form. Your own body, and then f- form in general. Putting a cup down kindly, rather than just dumping it. Opening a door, kindly. May all beings, even, even unsentient beings. And the beings indifferent. The cooks, the, wash, the people who do the washing up, the staff, the postman. May they be well. Is there some way in which one can cultivate that attentiveness to, to beings indifferent, unknown, near, far away, the ones who don't count, the ones who do count, yourself, with an, with an evenness of mind, of wishing them well, letting their presence enter your heart. Just in, in a day, in what we do, the way we relate to each other. When one comes on a retreat, it's, it's easy to, to fall into this, you know, I'm retreatant, and then there's a teacher, and then the staff, three different kinds of being. And then there are people who, like the mailman or whatever, who are, who are a totally different kind of species of animal altogether. They don't even practice. So th- that uh, we, we discriminate strongly. We get very hyper-concerned about ourselves and expect things for ourselves, but we don't necessarily turn attention and awareness around with equanimity, with what would be balanced and, and helpful and kindly for oneself and for all beings. You can also, pr- the beings in your consciousness, then as you develop this a little clearer, more clearly, the people in your mind, like your father, your mother, your husband, your brother, your wife, your daughter, let them, them 
visualize as you when you practice this way open your mind and then let bring up an image of those people one at a time your teacher people you like first of all and relatives and then sometimes you get a, one of these images this it's a very strong feeling aversion or fear or guilt comes up or shame or worry just stay with that let it pass keep visualizing that person and let the feet till the feeling can be allowed to pass and be there and be healed to pass through the mind pass away people that we know then people are uh, around us right? people in this room people on this retreat the staff myself people in their personal lives and people perhaps rather remote from us the governor the, the mailman or uh, President Bush may he be well and happy the Queen Queen of England it's <laughs> a true loyalist <laughs> <laughs> or Mr. Gorbachev or anybody the moon the stars the birds the sun the snow so this is why the, the meta so if you just think it sounds ridiculous as a series of ideas but we can, all, we can experience all of these in our heart, can't we? And we can feel indifferent, contemptuous, it doesn't matter, I don't care about them anyway, what's that to me? Or we can experience hostility, or worry, or fear, or whatever. But experiencing them in a loving, sensitive way doesn't mean you necessarily have to do anything or say anything, but just to, to, to open the heart and, and develop this, this soft radiance for oneself and for all sentient beings mindfulness, wisdom, compassion mindfulness, love and kindness are not separate wisdom and compassion are not not two and as this sutta says if one cultivates this steadily not holding to fixed views one becomes liberated from the sense desires, from grasping at sensuality for oneself. It becomes, it's so much more enjoyable to be loving, isn't it, really? It's so much more fun, so much ple more pleasant in abiding to be loving and uh, kind and joyous than to be expecting and asking and this is leading, what leads to the cessation of rebirth on this, in this sentient form. We're not grasping at sensuality and we're not rejecting sensuality. So we, this is the, this grasping either in aversion or in, in fascination of some kind is what rebirth is about. The mind focuses, fixates upon and sees life as a series of sentient experiences to hop from one to the other yeah. to hop away from this one and hop towards that one when there's a loving kindness you don't need to go anywhere you let the world come to you and through you because you have this abiding in 
in joyousness. So someone who develops the metta bhavana, the uh, Buddha said, they, if they get no further, they can be assured of, of rebirth on the, on the plains of free from sensuality, the, Bra- the Brahma Loka. This is why it's called the Brahma Vihara. So, and then it can be used also to sustain and develop the insight that leads to Nibbana. So, it's worth working on, isn't it? You could be reborn as a Brahma, having a billion kalpas of unending bliss, which would be nice for a while. (laughs) (laughs) But if you really practice it and develop anatta, this understanding that there's nobody nobody to be kind towards even, there's just just kindness, then you you can realize the the freedom and the peace of of the Buddha, the Nibbana. Sampadiyam samadhi sadhu karang